0: So our scripture reading for this afternoon comes to us from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character And character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For when we were still sinners, when we were still without, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the the one man's offense many died, much more by the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ." Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This far, our Scripture reading, and we will, in connection with this passage and various other ones, we will also consider Lord's Day 3. Lord's Day 3, which you find on page 29 in the back of your Psalter. Lord's Day 3, in question number 6, asks Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? The answer is by no means. But God created man good, and after his own image, in the true righteousness and holiness, and that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness, to glorify and praise him. And question seven asks, From where then proceeds this depravity of human nature? The answer is from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence, our nature is become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. And question eight asks, are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? And the answer is, indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of of God. And so, as we follow the catechism, we will focus mainly on this chapter in Romans 5 that we read. And verse 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this chapter, Paul really begins to explain the the benefits, the, the wonder of having peace with God. And you might ask, well, how can we have peace with God? Well, peace with God is only possible when God's anger against our sin has been turned away, as His justice has been satisfied, and when He sees no more sin in us because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here in this verse, Paul is speaking of, of about justification. And, and justification is when God then legally declares you to be not guilty, when your sins have been removed, and when you receive that perfect righteousness to cover you of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on then to show the benefits of that justification. There, there's that peace with God. We've been reconciled. To God. There's that freedom of access to Him. And He can even rejoice because of that firm hope of that salvation in God. And then as He goes through this chapter, verses 6 through 8, He shows how that wonder of that peace was made, how it has come to be. And in verse 8, He says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us. In that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Here Christ is motivated of his own delo- divine love for sinners. And he died, therefore, the ungodly who are at enmity with God. And so there's, it, it's, it's God's work. It's God's motivation. God accomplished this while we were sinners, while we were powerless, while we were unable to rescue ourselves from the effects of, of the fall, and so therefore, it's also only of God's free grace and love. in In the first chapters of of Romans, Paul shows how everyone in this world has fallen short of the glory of God, how everyone has sinned, and how the law reveals shows that we are guilty before God. And last week, you remember how we heard of the Korean who was born in that prison camp. And we compared it to how we have been born into sin in this world, and God could have freely left us there. He could have left us in that prison camp of our sin, separated from Him forever. But then as Paul goes further through this chapter in verses 9 through 11, he then shows the wonder that you can have that firm hope and that expectation Because this peace that God provides for His people is an an everlasting peace. It is a peace that will never be taken away again. It is a peace that God Himself provides for His people. And because God is the one who reconciles sinners and provides this for us, not depending on our work, that is why you can also have that firm hope and rejoice that this is an everlasting peace. Because the end of verse 10 says we are saved by His life. Christ lives forever. Christ ever lives to make intercession. And the absolute wonder that God would restore us to that peace becomes so much greater when we realize how we lost that peace in the first place. How we ended up where we did in our fallen Adam. And why this reconciliation was necessary. And that's what we want to see today, looking at the Catechism and looking at this chapter. And I confess there are many large words to be used tonight, and we'll try to explain them or be clear with them, but it may take um, some careful listening. And so our theme for this evening is called Peace or Misery. Peace or misery, and then first just as a lead in verse twelve says, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and Paul here he he's often quite difficult in his writing, and he he begins a thought here in verse twelve that he picks up again in verse eighteen, and between that he has he, he explains something. Related to it, so in verse 18, it continues, and he says, "Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation; even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life." And that condemnation he's speaking of here is he's referring back to that judgment that we're all under because of our sin. And now to explain how the Catechism is trying to walk us through this. Last week we learned in Lord's Day 2 that in the sight of the law, we have no peace with God. In the sight of the law, we have no peace with God. Because Romans 3.20 said, by the law is the knowledge of sin. And we are placed before the law of God to show us that we are unable to keep God's holy law. That is our sin. And the consequence of our sin is, as Galatians said, as cursed is everyone who does not keep all the things of the law to do them. And so we have no peace with God because we have broken the law of God by our sin. And because we have broken God's law, we deserve God's wrath and, and eternal judgment. Because of our sin, we've been exiled from the presence of God. And that is our misery. Our misery is that we have sinned, we have unable to keep God's law, and because of our sin we have, we face the eternal judgment of God. That's what we saw last week in Lord's Day 2. The knowledge of our misery, how we come to know that. But here in Lord's Day 3, we can ask, how did we lose that peace? How did we lose that peace with God? And to see that we need to look back to where we originally came from. How did God then create us? How did we fall so far? And can this be fixed? And so, Lord's Day 3 here shows us the cause of our misery. That's where they're trying to lead us through God's Word. Where does our misery come from? Whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? Is it Adam's fault? Is it our fault? And so then, our first main thought then is, Peace created without misery. Peace created without misery. When Paul says there in verse 12, through one man sin entered into the world, he is saying that the world did not start off with sin in it, but sin entered into the world through one man, Adam. God created all things good. And then there was perfect peace. Our catechism summarized that when it said, God created man good and after his own image in true righteousness and holiness that he might rightly know God as creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. And when God created the world, you remember in Genesis, he, he saw what he had made and it was good. And especially on the sixth day, after He created Adam and Eve, He saw. In Genesis 1 verse 31, it says, Then God saw everything He had made, and indeed it was very good. So how did God create Adam? He created Adam and Eve in His own image and likeness. And those words, they, they, they mean it's like a shadow, a shadow that resembles the object. So Adam and Eve were created as a shadow, resembling who God is with certain characteristics. God formed Adam from the dust, and God breathed into Adam's nostrils, and he became a living soul. So God created Adam with a living, immortal soul that was at peace with God, and that peace was intended to last forever. There was the potential for that peace to last forever. And that image and that likeness that Adam was created with consisted of true knowledge, of true righteousness, and of true holiness. Adam had that perfect knowledge of God. And that peace comes by knowing God, knowing who God is, what He is like, and what He does. And so Adam knew everything about God. He knew that God was the fountain of overflowing good. And that is a God of love. That is a God of peace. And Jesus says in, in John 17, This is life eternal, that you may know God. Adam knew God perfectly. Adam knew the will of God. And he was able to obey that will. Adam had that perfect righteousness and holiness. There was no, no sin in his life. There was no sinful desires, either in his thoughts, in his words, or his deeds. And just like Jesus says that the summary of the law is that we have to love God above all and our neighbor as ourselves. That's what Adam did and could do. And so Adam had no guilt. Adam had no shame because there was nothing to be ashamed of or feel guilty for. And that's why, God, or that's why Adam could communicate with God freely. There was perfect peace with God. He had perfect act, access to God. He had full confidence in God. All his delight, all his joy came from God. He enjoyed living in God's presence. He could glorify God as he worked and whatever he did during the day, as he kept the garden, as he ruled the animals. And so there was perfect peace with God, peace in his work, peace in his marriage, peace in nature, peace with the animals. There were no storms, no poisonous animals to be afraid of, no pesty animals, no sickness, no injury, but peace in creation because there's peace with God. But this is a peace that was lost in our second thought. Peace lost produces misery. We were created to know God, to live with Him, to enjoy Him, to glorify Him forever. But that has been lost. And now we know it's hard, difficult to work to the glory of God. We're selfish. We like to take the glory. We covet things that don't belong to us. That results in in wars and fightings. It's hard to live at peace even with our closest relations in family or in marriage. Our selfish heart is so proud and our tongue is so quick to cut others down and cause hurt and pain instead of peace and building each other up. It's so difficult to pray to God, to spend just five minutes of uninterrupted time, focused, heart-engaged time dedicated to God because our flesh resists it. It resists that time to carefully read the Bible. And even when we do, it seems like everything tries to interrupt us. The phone rings, the kids knock on the door. It's difficult to come to church to worship God with His people because our flesh can fight against it. It can think of so many other pleasant things to do that seems more appealing. We look for peace in different places. And so we fall short of the glory of God in so many ways. We fail in our purpose of being created, to love God above all and glorify Him. And why? We've lost that peace with God because of sin. Verse 12 again, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. So here Paul is referring to that original original sin and which leads to our actual sin, that all have sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God, they fell from God's favor. They lost that peace with God. Because they have sinned, God's wrath was now towards them. They lost that peace because God must punish all sin in His justice. And so Adam and Eve were guilty. Adam and Eve were ashamed. And so they hid from God. They no longer had that peace to walk with God or to talk with God. They no longer had that free and open access to him. But they went to hide in the bush because of fear. And so Adam is a representative of the whole human race. Because he sinned, all his descendants are now born corrupt and sinful. And that means, as verse 18 says, that we're all under judgment, resulting in condemnation. Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. That condemnation, that's, that as God told Adam, the day you eat of that forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. And condemnation is another legal word. It means to be legally guilty and subject to the punishment. And so Adam was driven out of the presence of God, out of paradise. And we are all born with that original sin and no peace with God. There is no peace, says the Lord, to the wicked. And so this is what is called, and especially John Murray uses this word of double alienation. Alienation is that separation. On the one hand, we have been separated from God because of our enmity against God, our sinful hearts. We have been separated from God. Our hearts are at enmity with God. We are bent away, inclined away from God. But also, the second half is God is alienated from us. Because of His wrath against sin, He cannot come towards us. Otherwise, He has to punish us in His justice. And so it's called a double alienation, us from God and God from us. And so our alienation means that we are born into this world, that we lack a true knowledge of God, that we do not have a true understanding of His will. And instead of always wanting and able to do God's will, we do the opposite. We're always inclined to disobey God. Our default is set away from God. Why do we disobey so often? Because that's our natural inclination. There's no peace with God naturally in our heart. And our guilty hearts run from God because we are under the condemnation. We need to suffer the punishment of sin. But then God's alienation from us means there's no peace because we are under that eternal wrath of God. Verse 14 says, Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And Paul explains that even before that law was given to Moses, from Adam to Moses, that, that judgment was there. They were already condemned to death because they are not able to keep the law of God even though the law was not physically written for them. No one could keep this law anymore. There's no peace with God because we do not know God or His will. And so we have no peace because we do not have a right view of the work of God. And we see that in our daily life when when things happen that we don't understand. We're often quick to, to judge or to question God and wonder why things happen. We do not understand why God is doing certain things. We have no peace because we've lost dominion over the creation Adam had to go out and work in the fields and the thorns and the thistles and the sweat of his brow. Animals can be either pests or dangerous. We've lost control in the regulation of our own hearts, our own desires. Sinful desires constantly bubble up out of our hearts. Why? Because we have that original sin. We act impulsively instead of with wisdom and self-control. And so, so often our emotions can overtake us or our lusts overpower us. And so there's disorder, there's pain, and there's heartache. No peace in this life apart from God. And so as Paul says here, God created peace to endure, but now there's condemnation, there's judgment, there's wrath, which will endure forever for those who remain estranged from God. And in many ways we can recognize these things in our own life. And we're always looking for peace. Peace in the different areas of life. But we can never find it apart from Christ. And so that brings us to our last point. Peace restored replaces misery. Paul is speaking of peace with God. Of being reconciled with God of being justified by God. These are all big words, and they all require a sermon in themselves to explain, but this is a general overview. God, He made peace through Jesus Christ. And again, when we think of that double alienation, that we have been alienated from God because of a corrupt nature that we're born with, And God alienated from us because of our sin. This reconciliation, that means bringing back together, that Paul is speaking of then in verse 11, deals with what God did of his alienation towards us. God removed the sin of the world through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he bore the sins of his people. There he paid that debt. There he endured that eternal wrath of God that we deserve. And there God's justice was satisfied. And there God's alienation towards us was removed, and his favor was turned back towards us. The Bible says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. He removed the, the cause of that curse, he, of that alienation, and he, His favor turned toward us again. There God was reconciled to man, and that's what Paul says we receive in verse 11. We receive that removal of God's alienation from us. We receive God's favor toward us in that sense. Because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Because of the work that God has done in Christ. And because of that, he says we can rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. But then the question remains, how does that peace become ours personally? How do we also become reconciled to God? And that is the message of the gospel that God is reconciled to the world. His favor shines in Jesus Christ, and we have access to God, knowing that He's a merciful and a gracious God towards us in Christ. But you say, how? Because we can't escape this prison cell ourselves. We can't escape our own corrupt nature ourselves. We can't choose to suddenly be good we can't undo what Adam did to restore that peace with God. The result of original sin, we said, is that we're still inclined to all evil, incapable of doing any good. And that's what we believe in, a doctrine of original sin or that total depravity, that there's nothing that we can do, there's nothing in us that can work to, that we can do to work towards our salvation. And the Catechism in Question 7 used that word of re- or question eight, of regeneration. They were incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. But this is also the great message of the gospel because it says we can't, but God does. And that's why Paul can command us in in 2 Corinthians 5, where he says, Be reconciled to God. God is reconciled to the world in Jesus Christ, and He commands us to be reconciled to Him by faith. Paul is saying you must enter into that peace that God has made through Jesus Christ. And then the only response is that we, have, we can believe what God has done that we are to enter that peace that God provides through faith and repentance because there's no other response possible. We cannot produce anything to merit our salvation to, or to cause God to look upon us, but God has already satisfied that all in Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is that that he indicates that in the previous chapter, chapter 4 and 3, he's been showing how by faith we become justified to God like Abraham was. That through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this peace becomes ours through justification. And then as Paul continues in chapter 5, he's drawing a parallel and a a contrast there between Adam and Christ, showing the certainty of the peace that God gives because it comes from God and not from us. In verses 18 and 19, he says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can have peace with God. Just like our sin and our condemnation came to us through Adam. Our, our covenant, or a representative head, so our justification can only come through Christ, the second Adam. Both these terms, condemnation and justification, deal with our legal standing before God. And what Paul is showing here, in in chapter five, is that that peace that comes through Jesus Christ is more certain than the peace that Adam enjoyed in paradise. And that is because the peace in Jesus Christ is eternal, and it can never be lost again like Adam lost his peace. Adam had the ability to fall and disobey, but Christ can never fall. Christ has secured this peace for his people, and this is a peace that will endure to to, to eternity. And this peace comes through being restored to the image of God and being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And that condemnation is then removed when God justifies the believer through Christ by faith. Then there is peace with God because then you have a a right, legal standing with God. And God restores his peace, he says, through the free gift of Jesus Christ. Even he's, as he said in Romans 3, verse 21, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Because all have sinned in Adam and all are under the condemnation of, so also all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, justified. The law cannot save us, but only shows us our sin. But God provides peace through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this peace has such power as in verse 4 or 3, that even in tribulations in this world, this peace cannot be shaken, this peace cannot be taken away. But this peace provides that firm anchor for the soul, a confident access to God by faith and a hope of eternal life. And I confess, again, it is a lot of big words, but we do need to ask this question ourselves of how do we stand before God. Do we know of a peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ? The peace that God gives to his people. He has shown how he in Christ has reconciled the world to himself and now commands all people to repent and to believe, and he says, be reconciled to God. Spurgeon had said to his congregation, he asked him to go home and and think about what they heard. And he said, you need to go home and sit and write one of two words on a piece of paper, either condemned or forgiven. And so here we use similar language, but we can say we need to write down, are we condemned or are we justified? And do we have no peace with God or do we have peace with God, because if we have to write down condemned or no peace, then we should not leave our Bible or the place of prayer until we can find peace with God, for He calls every one of us to enter into this peace through the Lord Jesus Christ, and it can only be one or the other, Every one of us sitting here this afternoon, it is either one or the other. Peace with God or no peace. What do we need to write down? Amen.